we're glad to have you here tonight. We're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 uh, for our study tonight. You should have a copy of the lesson in the back there. If you need one, uh, you can slip up your hand and Ken will bring that by. Make sure you have that lesson to go along uh, with us tonight. And I simply entitled the lesson tonight, Emotional Stability. And uh, sometimes we become an emotional basket case and we need to allow ourselves to experience a stability that God gives us and uh, they often say around Christmas time they say Christmas is a depressing time of the year uh, I don't know why they say that it's an exciting time of the year for me amen uh, certainly as a Christian we have something to rejoice about as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and but yet when the world that we're living in my goodness gracious with COVID and elections and fraud and all kinds of things going on uh, it's like we just, uh, 2020 has been nothing more than an emotional roller coaster. And uh, so we need to, as Christians, as we deal with issues and problems in the world, it does affect us emotionally. And so we want to be sure that we're stable and, and steadfast in the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I also, I'm sorry, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be together. Thank you for the word of God. I pray that you'd bless it to our, our hearts. I'm thankful for the song we were able to sing tonight and because we do want to give all glory and all honor to you. And we're thankful for your grace that is sufficient to meet every need that we have. And I'm thankful, Lord, that our lives are secure in Christ Jesus. And so bless the preaching and teaching of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verse is verse 13. says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And we don't know that word charity means love. It's a Greek word agape. Agape love is a sacrificial type of love. And so he says, what abides in our life is faith, hope, and love. But he identifies love as being the greatest attribute, I guess you could say, or asset that we have as a Christian. And so this is a great chapter, chapter 13, because it's been identified as being called the great love chapter. And oftentimes when we talk about love, uh, people will go right to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and read it. Many preachers preach on it. I've preached out of this chapter many times on uh, the descriptions of uh, what love is in this chapter. So it's a great chapter that deals with love. Paul's evaluation of love is in verses 1 through 7. And notice he deals with the character of love. Now, I'm not going to read all these verses. We'll never get through the lesson. But certainly, as you know, verses 1 through 7 he goes through and starts identifying uh, the character traits of what love is, what love does. 
and uh, uh, how love impacts our life. And so he addresses uh, this matter, the character of love. Love is an emotional state. It's an emotional response. And so he identifies for us the character of love. In verse 8 through 10, he deals with the endurance of love. And uh, certainly you see charity, he says in verse 8, charity never faileth. And because of the fact that it's enduring, he says, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And so he's saying the, the foundational truth that enables us to be stable emotionally in our life is, uh, is not the knowledge that we can gain. It's not the prophecy we might be able to understand, but rather it's the love of Christ uh, that we enjoy, and uh, it endures and endures and endures uh, through all of our life and through eternity. And so the character of love is addressed in verse 1 through 7, and the endurance of love is addressed in verse 8 through 10. But in verse 11 through 13, where we have our text tonight, he deals with the value of love. He says, we have uh, but what abides with us is faith and hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. And so he, he's identifying the value of love. And certainly we know that he is addressing that from the standpoint in reference to our relationship with God and how he loves us through Christ Jesus. So he gives an evaluation of love in this chapter. Uh, he makes some tremendous statements in verse 11, 12, and 13. Notice in verse 11, he makes this statement that I know who I am. In verse 11, he says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. He said, I know who I am uh, because of the fact I'm not a child anymore. And I know I'm not a child because things have changed. The focus has changed. The, the things that are important have changed my conduct has changed because when I was a child, that's how I understood life from the lens, if you will, or the eye gate of a child uh, who has not grown up and, and has come to know uh, the trials and the difficulties and the struggles of the world. But when I became a man, I put away childish things, and it would be well for us to mature in our relationship with Christ to a place where we do understand who we are. We're, we should not be babes in Christ all of our life. There ought to be a maturing, there ought to be a growing up that takes place. And so he says, I know who I am. In verse 12, he says, I know what I will be. In verse 12, he says, for now we see through glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And he's saying, he's just simply identifying, this is what I'm going to be. Uh, I, I certainly don't see everything that I am right now. I know that I'm no longer a child. I'm a man. But I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to what my life is going to be like when I get in the presence of God. When, when basically the, the veil is removed completely and I see the glory of God distinctly, it's going to make a difference in my life. And so he says, I know what I'll be. But then in verse 13, he just basically says, uh, I know what I need. 
And that's why he says, we now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. He is basically stating, this, this is what I need. I need faith, I need hope, and I need love. And if there is something that is desperately needed in this world, is people need faith, they need hope, and they need love. And uh, certainly if we do not experience faith, hope, and love, it makes us very shaky. It makes us unstable in our thoughts. It makes us unstable in our sense of worth and value. It makes us unstable in this matter of uh, uh, emotionally being settled in reference to not just who I am and what I will be, and, but it identifies what I need. And I need faith. I need hope, and I need love so that I might be emotionally stable. So let's look at this tonight, kind of break it apart a little bit. The first point, of course, would be faith. You can see in your notes, faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so when we talk about faith, it's not just living within the realm of, of the known. It's not the matter of just living in the realm of what we can tangibly see and grab a hold of, but it's living in the realm where we know and trust that God is going to do things that we cannot do. God's going to reveal things to us that we do not know, and we're going to experience those things by having faith. And why do we need faith? Because faith develops joy that repels sorrow. And I think many times people are sorrowing when they should have joy, and it's because they don't have faith. And uh, so uh, th this matter of joy that repels sorrow uh, through faith is, first of all, in letter A there, just a universal message. In uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse 10, I put this in your notes, and the angel said unto them, uh, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. You know, this angel speaking to the shepherds about the birth of Christ. And it's just, it's amazing to me that the message that he brings is a universal message because it shall be to all people. And, and that speaks well to me that, wait a minute, I, I believe that God doesn't want us tossed about to and fro with every wind of doctrine. One day we're excited, the next day we're sorrowing. One day we're in victory, the next day we're failing. I don't believe God wants us to be living that way. I think he wants us to have faith that where we're stable in Christ uh, based upon the fact that, wait a minute, God, I might not know what tomorrow is going to bring to me, but I know that God is still in control of things tomorrow. And because of that, I can be joyful and I can be happy in spite of the situations and things that I go through. It requires faith. I can tell you this, over the 35 years my wife and I have been saved, uh, there's been a lot of times where it's very easy to become sour and to lose joy in your heart. Uh, because of things, of difficulties you go through and you have to deal with uh, are not coming out and you don't know how it's going to come out and that's where faith has to enter in. 
to believe that God can get you through and God's going to get, take you over on the other side and God's going to bless you irregardless of that. So the faith that is universally message that is offered to all people can bring us joy and happiness even in the midst of trials and struggles in our life because joy repels sorrow. You can't be joyful and sorrowful at the same time. You can have disappointments in life and have joy, but you can't have joy and sorrow at the same time. And so I want to have faith that enables me to develop a joy that removes the sorrows in my life. And, uh, there, and I'm not saying you're not going to be discouraged and you're not going to be able to, I mean, you're not going to face things that are going to uh, cause you to weep. Because uh, the Bible tells us to weep with those who weep. Tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice. God created us as emotional beings. And so, yes, we are going to respond to situations and circumstances with emotions. But I do not have to allow sorrow to overwhelm me to the point where I have no joy. Because I can have faith to believe that God is with me regardless of what's going on in life. And so I can still be happy in the Lord even though I might be disappointed, even though things might not be coming out how I want them to come out, I can still have joy unspeakable and full of glory. How do, how do you do that? Through faith, through faith. I notice, first of all, this universal message. It's a clear statement. Uh, the angel said unto them, fear not. And so the way that I can have joy that'll repel the sorrows in life out of my life and stabilize my emotions is I grab a hold of the clear statement or promise that God has made. Fear not. I don't have to be afraid. And I, I'm going to tell you, I pastored three churches in my lifetime, and in all three churches, there were points of time as pastor in all three churches where I was fearful whether I was going to be able to continue on in the ministry because things were going on. All three of them. And one situation, I found this. The, 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 uh, the names are changed to protect the innocent <laughs> because of the fact that every church has the same problems, and it's amazing. It seems like the same people are there. And the same situations you have to overcome. And I just found this, when fear grips my heart to where I'm trembling and I have no joy in my soul is where I need to have faith to believe that God can still take care of that problem that I'm going through in my life. I don't care what it is. I don't care. It may be parental problems with your children. It may be economic troubles in your home. It may be problems on the job. But I do not have to live with the fear gripping my soul. I can have faith to believe that God is greater than that fear because he told us to fear not. And so it's a clear statement. If God makes a statement that clear and that precise, then we ought to be able to have enough faith to believe it. And so he said, fear not. Notice not only there's a clear statement, but notice that there, because of that clear statement, there's a confident response. 
because he says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. So here's the confident response that God is bringing to us great joy. Now the world, listen, Jesus said in this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. So Christ clearly states to us that we can have joy that repels sorrow because he has so defined the fact that the message that we have from God is for each and every one of us not to be overrun and overgripped with fear because of the fact that God has promised that he's going to bring to us joy. And you think about Christmas, you think about the birth of Jesus Christ, it is God bringing to us, to the world, joy through faith in Jesus Christ. But see, you have to have faith and to abide in faith to be able to enjoy uh, that stability in our life uh, based on the universal message that's to all of us. Notice not only is it a universal message, but it's a personal experience. A personal experience. And that personal experience is conscious, being conscious, having a conscious vision. I don't know how I want to say that. I try to put these in short phrases, then I forget what I was actually going to say. Amen. But anyway, a conscious vision. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Now, we know that's in reference to the wise men. When they saw the star, where identified where Jesus was, it says they rejoiced. So what happened here? They were consciously aware of the vision of what God gave them of the star to identify where Christ would be. And uh, as a result of that, they rejoice with exceeding great joy. And so they're not sorrowing. They're not emotionally uh, destabilized. Uh, they're secure in the fact that, wait a minute, that I personally have seen the star. And because I am conscious of the vision that God gave me in reference to who he is and how he'll fulfill his promises in my life, now I can experience great joy, exceedingly great joy. I like how it says that they rejoice. They didn't just get happy in the Lord. It says that they were exceedingly great joy. And uh, sometimes I think we ought to just let ourselves go once in a while and get a little excited for God, amen, and uh, personal experience. I just know this, when God gives you a vision of who he is and what he's going to do through your circumstances in life, it settles the soul, and it gives joy in your spirit, and it gives you the ability to be able to, to rejoice uh, and uh, celebrate all that Christ is. So the sorrow of my life is repelled by the joy that God brings to me. But I also see this, a personal experience, not just conscious vision, but a mixed, a mixed emotion. And I put the verse in there, and this is where they uh, come to the tomb after Jesus was crucified. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 8, it says, And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, mixed emotion. They departed from the sepulcher 
with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. Now listen, oftentimes what happens in our lives, uh, we'll have to deal with issues that will instill fear in us, but that doesn't mean you have to be overwhelmed by the fear. You can still be stirred with joy. The fear that they experienced was based on the fact that they didn't know where Jesus was. Where did he take his body? They were confused about that. But the great joy was based on the fact that Jesus had re revealed to them and told them that he would rise again on the third day. So, listen, don't, don't allow the fear that's generated in the unknown to rob you of the joy that's in the present. And because Jesus Christ uh, has made some great promises to us, and because he has, then my faith can be restored, my faith can be built up, my trust in what I cannot see and what I cannot comprehend may be mixed up with the emotions in life that I got to deal with, but listen, the joy should end up on the top because of the faith that you enjoy. And so we see that there's a conscious vision and mixed emotions, but there's also a spiritual stirring. And uh, if you have faith in those times of mixed emotions, then you can experience a spiritual stirring. In Luke chapter 24, in verse 52, says, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. You know, it's amazing to me that everything you read about people coming in contact with Christ and, and receiving his words that they gave to, he gave to them, uh, it would fill their hearts with great joy. And I'm thankful tonight that I can have a spiritual stirring of God. Physically, my body may fail me. But spiritually, God will never fail me. Financially, the world may fall apart and we lose all of our money. But wait a minute, God still owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's still in control of all things. And so I can have a spiritual stirring when I feel that I have no hope because I have the faith that God gives me to be able to trust him. I can, I can worship him and rejoice in the, the goodness of my God. It's just interesting, too, a sidebar here, side thought. It says, and they worshiped him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. The most sour Christians I know or have known are Christians who don't come to church and worship God. You can't, listen, it is hard to be a rejoicing, happy Christian when you take no time to worship God. And, and so I want to have a spiritual stirring in my heart. And you say, well, you're the preacher. You preach all the time. I want you to know when I'm preaching, God ministers to my heart. When I'm preaching, I read something. I was like, wow, I never saw that before. I don't say that out loud. But I say, well, I'll stop there for a while and think about that. And try to, try to preach at the same time of listening what God wants to say to my heart. I want a spiritual stirring when I gather to worship the living God. And you say, how can that take place? I'll tell you how. Faith takes you into that realm. 
I see it's also, in this matter of faith, is an evangelical commitment. An evangelical commitment. Faith. First of all, faith to go. And uh, Acts chapter 8 and verse 8, it says, And there was great joy in that city. And we know that was in reference to Philip going by faith into the city and preaching Christ. And many of them believed on Christ. And when they believed on Christ, their lives were changed. And the scriptures tells us there was great joy in that city. I'm going to tell you what Tom's River needs. Tom's River needs to be evangelized. Tom's River needs to be brought to Christ. Because when Tom's River turns to Jesus Christ, it'll eliminate the sorrow. It'll eliminate the judgments. It'll eliminate the heartaches. It'll eliminate all the uh, a negative aspect of conflicts between people when we have faith to go and tell somebody about Jesus Christ. They can fill the city with great joy. You say, how's that going to take place? By faith. So faith to go, but then number two there is just faith to share. And says in Acts chapter 15 and verse 3, it says, And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria. And what did they do in those cities? Declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. I don't think there's a happier message than to be able to share that somebody got saved. I don't know of a greater message, happier message that I can ever say to somebody or share with somebody or testify in the church or whatever than to be able to testify that I led such and such person to Christ. And they were willing to do that. And you say, why, why would they do that? Because of faith. Because of faith. Faith to believe. I know it's hard to lead people to Christ in 2020. I know New Jersey is famous for uh, being very cold, don't want to talk to you. And I was a couple of guys when I was soul winning today, and, and I was talking to one of them for the service. They said, it's amazing that everybody's okay. You know, you try to lead someone to the Lord. Oh, I'm okay. Everybody's okay, but they have no hope of heaven. Amen. Everything's okay, but their families are falling apart. Hey, I'm okay. No, you're not okay. You need Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so an evangelical sharing of our faith in Jesus Christ. I need that faith to share. Because if I don't have faith to share, I'll think nobody will get saved. If I don't have faith to share, I'm, I'm living a life that becomes burdensome and a drudgery because there's no excitement uh, about what God is doing in somebody else's life. And so, you know, you know the, one of the things that will kill a church quicker than anything is to back off from missions and to turn our back on evangelism. And because I'm going to tell you what brings joy to the heart of the Christian is a matter of evangelizing the lost and supporting the missionaries as they send word back that they're, they're leading people to Christ around the world. And I'll tell you, it gets people stirred up and, and excited. I remember old preacher years ago, he said, if your church needs revival, put them on a missionary diet. 
And I thought, I heard that man years ago, and I thought, what a great truth. Put us on a missionary diet. You know, if you want excitement in your, in your personal life, you want to be joyful as a Christian, have faith that you can lead someone to Christ. And just start sharing with people what God has done in your life and allow the Lord to strengthen you and build you and release his power in you that you might be able to lead someone to Jesus Christ. Oswald Chambers said this, Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. You look at the world, COVID, I'm still trying to figure it out. I can't figure it out. Why would the Lord allow this to take place? I don't know, but I know this. Faith is deliberately having confidence in the character of God. I'm not going to question what God has done or what he's allowed because of the fact when I question what God has done and what he's allowed, I'm not living in faith. And when I'm not living in faith, sorrow overwhelms me. And so faith is what gives me the joy that drives away the sorrows in life. And so we need to have faith to choose to believe the character of God, uh, that, that his ways I might not understand at the time, but I know he is a loving God, and I know that he saved me. I know my life is hid in his hands, and so I'm going to live by faith in the eternal Savior. Amen. Why? Because I want to be emotionally stable. I mean, I was a wreck before I got saved. And uh, there's times I started to become a wreck since I've been saved. But I'm going to tell you, it's faith. It is faith that gives you the joy back again. Notice he says uh, what we need is uh, now abideth faith and hope. Hope. What, what is hope? Why do we need hope? Hope removes despair in our life. And uh, we cannot constantly live a life of despair emotionally uh, because you absolutely will not have any joy. And if you can't have faith to have joy to remove the sorrow, you'll lose your hope that will overwhelm you with despair in your life. Uh, now, um, uh, first of all, you think about this and when it deals with hope. You need a healthy countenance, a healthy countenance. In Psalm 43, and I put it in your notes there, Psalm 43, 5, says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. And so hope is going to give me a healthy countenance because of the fact I'm not going to be allowing myself to be cast down in a pit of despair. And uh, uh, notice, first of all, I put down here, it's a reasonable question. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? You say, I'm just losing hope. Then ask the real question. Why are you cast down? Well, I just feel discouraged. Oftentimes I've told Joanne, you know, and, and she's like, are you all right? I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm depressed. And uh, she said, well, what's the matter? I said, oh, uh, it's my depression, and I'm keeping it myself. I'm not sharing it with you. It's mine. You want to have a pity party? Get your own party. Amen. This is my party. And I'm going to tell you right now, the only way that you can get out of the pit of despair 
is be willing to ask the reasonable question, why are you there? I remember Dr. Malone would, he testified of a young fellow years ago in Bible college. He said he was walking down the hallway and Dr. Malone saw him and Dr. Malone told him, he said, hey, how you doing? And he said, oh, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. And Dr. Malone told him, he said, well, what are you doing underneath of there? You're supposed to be on top of the circumstances, not underneath of the circumstances. So you need to have a reasonable question. Why are you cast down? Why is your soul disquieted within you? You need to identify what it is that has robbed you of your hope in God so you can confess it to the Lord and you can have faith that it be removed and your joy will be restored and your hope will be restored and you'll be no longer this desperate and despaired in life. You need to have hope in God because the only way your hope in God is what removes the despair in your life. And I'm going to tell you, there is enough to be despondent about in this world. You say, well, I don't know anything. I got a few I'll give you. Amen. I'll loan you them. Reasonable question. You will not get over the despair until you're willing to identify what is the problem. But beyond that, notice there's a respectful expression. Because well, in the verse it says, hope in God for a yet I shall yet praise him. Amen. You understand when you're in a pit of despair, you're not praising God. You know, it's kind of hard to rejoice and praise God and acknowledge all that God is when now you're dissatisfied with what God's doing in your life. And so I need a respectful expression when I'm falling down, my countenance is ruined. I need a healthy countenance and I can get that if I'll be Honest with myself and answering the reasonable question and then responding in a respectful manner of praising God irregardless of what it is I'm going through. It gives me hope again. We need to have hope in God. You realize how many times since I've been saved and certainly since I've been called in ministry, I thought my, my life was over, my ministry was over. You realize how many times I've thought, well, man, you're a rotten preacher. Uh, how many times I've felt like just worthless because of the fact things weren't going the way I thought they should be going. And I'm going to tell you, when that happens, I've lost hope. And at that point, I got to get back praising God again and acknowledging his character traits and rejoicing in who he is so that I might be able to get the joy to get the sorrow out so that I might have the hope that will eliminate the despair in my life. Well, I see not only a healthy countenance, but I see a personal remembrance. In Psalm 78 and 7, it says, That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works, but keep his commandments. And so if, if I'm going to have a healthy countenance, then I'm going to be reasonably question why I'm in despair and how can I get back to praising God. But I'm also going to remember that, wait a minute, my hope is in the Lord because I remember his works that he has done. I like testifying about what God has done in the past and I'm going to tell you why, because it helps me in the present to get over the despair that comes upon me. 
When I, I, when I think how God provided for us uh, financially over the years, whether it was starting the church, whether it was taking a small church, when, you know, when I went down to Dividing Creek, I met with the deacons, and uh, uh, they said, well, this is what your salary is going to be. They wanted to know if I'd work a job, and uh, uh, I was in between churches. I drove, went back to driving tractor and trailer, and I just felt that God wanted me to be full-time in the ministry. And I remember I went down to Dividing Creek. I met with the deacons, and they said, well, we want you to know if you be willing to come this is what your salary is going to be, but we want you to know that we don't have that much money coming in the offerings. So we don't know how we're going to pay you that. But if it comes in, the offerings will pay you. So I told him, I said, well, hey, I said, if you'll step out by faith and promise to give me that salary, I'll step out by faith and believe God to make up the difference. Because I feel God wants me to come down here. And I don't feel God wants me to continue driving tractor and trailer. He wants me to be in the ministry. And that's how I went there. And they never missed a paycheck. Never. Now, he paid me $1.25 an hour. No, that's... An <laughs> what, am, what am I saying? I'm just saying this. When I feel that God can't take care of me, and it causes me to slip into despair, I like remembering that. I like remembering how God miraculously met my needs. I like the fact that I can think back, and when the church's uh, furnace was falling apart, and we needed to get a furnace, and we didn't have the money, it was going to cost $18,000 to get a furnace, and we didn't have the money. This was in January and uh, of the first year that I was down there, and uh, uh, the church was like, well, we don't have any money to do that. And I said, well, we're going to believe God. That's what I told them. I said, we're going to believe God for this $18,000. And I said, we are going to sign a contract with an oil company to put that furnace in in September this year. And they said, oh, preacher, I don't know. We just don't have I said, we're doing it. We're stepping out by faith. We signed that contract with that oil company, and come September, there was $18,000 there to pay for the furnace. I'm going to tell you, when I feel despair is overwhelming me, when I feel that I have no hope anymore, I like remembering things like that. And I'm going to tell you, the greatest thing that you can do in your life is to have faith to believe that God can move in your life and you allow him to move and you rejoice in his movement, but you have that memory that when you hit that hard place and it seems like your hope is gone and there seems like there's no foundation for you to look forward to tomorrow, God will remind you what he did in your life. So my emotions are stable. I see that we're not only uh, personal remembrance and healthy countenance, but I see there's eternal assurance. Man, i got to put it in gear if I'm going to get done this. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Our eternal assurance is by the power of God. It's not by our strength, it's not by our power, it's not by our might, it's by the power of God, and it's through the person of Jesus Christ. And so I have hope 
because God is the one who strengthens me and provides for me, and it's Christ who dwells with me and abides with me no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing. So I see eternal assurance. I see secured uh, dependence. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, it says that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. So the secure dependence that we have in hope is this, that it's by the integrity of God. We have a God who does not lie. And I'm going to tell you one thing right now. When despair is gripping your heart, find a promise from God and hold on to it. Because everything that you are and everything that you will be depends upon the integrity of God. And not only the integrity of God, but by the refuge of God. And so he is our refuge. He is the one we flee to. He is the one that I'm secure in. And so when I'm in a pit of despair, I can have hope in my God because he is always, uh, I'm always safe in his arms. I like that little course, everything's all right in my father's house. And when things start to fall apart, I start singing that little course. And if I'm driving down the road, I start directing it, you know, as I'm leading the choir. Everything's all right in my father's house. And people drive by and they think I'm nuts and everything else, but I have fun in the Lord. Amen. So I remember I was driving bus. Well, I used to get happy in the Lord. I'd be driving that bus would be full, all these commuters going to work, coming home from work. And I start getting happy in the Lord. I start directing music. I start singing up there. I mean to tell you, I used to have a good time. I used to have a little uh, cassette player recorder thing. And I got, I'd be driving down the road, and I'd be memorizing scripture. And God would lay a sermon on my heart, so I'd start preaching it in that little recorder. Of course, everybody on the bus, I made sure they could hear me, amen. And I recorded it on there. I just, I'm telling you, I'm just telling you this. Faith will take you into the realm of joy where hope can secure you and remove you from despair in your life. You have to have hope. Oswald Chambers said this, Remember whose you are and whom you serve. Provoke yourself to re by recollection, and your affection for God will increase tenfold. Your imagination will not be starved any longer, but will be quick and enthusiastic, and your hope will be inexpressibly bright. I'm, I'm just, I like that. I, I want my mind to run wild with the reality of all that God is. I want my heart to be stirred, to believe that I'm in the arms of Jesus Christ, and if I'm in there, who can touch me? Nobody. I have hope for tomorrow. I want to be emotionally stable. You say, you're an emotional nut. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm happier than you are. Amen. Praise the Lord. So anyway, we have faith, we have hope, but then he says that we have love. And he says the greatest of all three of them is love. Why is that? Because love replaces loneliness. I've seen a lot of people with a lot of people around them, but they're the most lonely people in the world. 
Uh, Listen, uh, uh, not being lonely is not getting a lot of people around you. Eliminating loneliness in your heart is based on the fact that God loves you. So first of all, look at examination. Real quick here, we only have a few minutes. Examination. John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's the examination. How can I be moved to a point of not being lonely is the fact that there is no greater expression of love than what Jesus Christ did. He died for me. I'm glad he died for you, but I'm happier he died for me. And so he said he'll never leave me nor forsake me. Examination. Then in letter B, I put down expansion. Says in Romans 5 5, and says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. That's the expansion. Hope isn't ashamed. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad, it's expanding in us. I'll tell you, the longer you're saved, the more excited you ought to be about being saved, but because a greater revelation and understanding of what the love of God does in your heart. So I see examination, expansion, I see endurance. Romans chapter 8 and verse 38 and 39, For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things that come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Titus 3, 4 says, But after that the kindness... And love of God, our Savior, towards men appeared. I'm telling you, the love of Christ is greater than all because it endures. Uh, Listen, the world may rob me of hope. The world may uh, hinder my joy and my excitement. But I'm going to tell you one thing that the world cannot do. It cannot stop the flow of the love of God for me, irregardless of what goes on in life. The enduring love of Christ. No wonder the greatest of the three is the love of God. So I see endurance. Then I see enlightenment. Enlightenment through love. Maturing love. 1 John 2, 5 says, But whoso keepeth his word... In him verily is the love of God perfected, which means growing or maturing. Hereby know we that we are in him. So an enlightenment is this, the love of Christ in me blossoms and it grows and it changes who I am. And because of that, I grow and mature in my love for him. The manifestation of love, 1 John 4, 9 In this was manifested the love of God towards us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. The manifestation of the love of God. How how do you know God loves me? I'll tell you how you know. Look to Calvary. That's how you know. So the maturing of love, the manifestation of love, and then I see the motivation of love. Jude 1.21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Here it is, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's a motivator. Man, I'll tell you, when I live out the love of Christ in my heart and I surrender my life to the Lord, I'm going to tell you one thing. It makes me more excited 
to enjoy the love of Christ because of the fact I'm learning and experiencing the mercy of God. C.S. Lewis said this, oh, uh, Though our feelings come and go, God's love for us does not. And so Paul writes to us here, Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity, emotional stability. Don't lose your faith. Why? It abides with us. It abides with us, our faith. But also don't lose your hope because hope abides with us. But I'm going to tell you, love abides with us, but the greatest is the love because God loved us when we were yet sinners. He sent his son into this world to communicate to us and reveal to us his love for us, and that love never, ever changes. He loves us that deeply. And so emotional stability. Don't let COVID-19, don't let this world, don't let uh, whatever it may be that you're struggling with rob you of joy. Faith will get the sorrow out and give you the joy. Don't fall in despair. Why? Because hope in God will always eliminate the despair in your life. And then love. love enjoy the love of God. Why? Because of the fact it will remove the loneliness in your life. You know, I forget the statistic, but it's like 65 or 70 percent of pastors say they feel that they're all alone. And I understand what they're saying, but I'm going to tell you one thing right now. You don't have to feel like they're all alone because our life does not depend on human interaction. Our life depends on the reality of the love of Christ in our hearts. And uh, folks, uh, don't, don't let the world rob you of that joy. All right, well, we need to